This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, what I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD Phase 1 because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole making tax digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Greetings wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast and a big welcome to hundreds of new listeners for the show this week. Just a reminder, if you've not come across our show before, we're a daily show and on Monday you get everything. So you get the new segment, which comes out separately on a Tuesday. You get our special guest interview that comes out on a Wednesday as a standalone episode. You get our Here's What Works section, which is a very practical section for accountants, telling you how to do your job better in all kinds of ways. And then on Friday, we usually have an expert interview and you get all of these on the Monday show. So to review what's coming up this week, we have a new section with Martin where we announce something a little bit about our accounting influencers brand. We don't often talk about this. We mention the news externally, what's happening in the accounting and fintech world. So Martin will be sharing with you a lovely announcement where we now have CPE accreditation for our podcast. CPE or CPD, depending on where you are in the world, Continued Professional Development Education. Then I interview Julia Penny. She is the Vice President and Incoming President of one of the biggest associations institutes in the world. It's the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. That's the ICAEW. They have thousands of members globally, and she's talking about the future of the accountancy profession. Then we have in our Here's What Works section, Martin talking about the importance of turning good intentions and good ideas into action. So many accountants get frozen by their inability to execute, talking about things, planning things, but not actually getting things done. So Martin will share with you some tips on turning intentions into actions. And then we revisit an interview that I did some while back with Ed Kless. Uh, many of you will know Ed Kless if you've been in the accounting world for a long time. He works with Sage. He runs a podcast with Ron Baker uh, called Soul of Enterprise. That's on the Voice America Talk Show Network. And he's the founder of the Very Sage Institute with Ron and some other high caliber people. And Ed's very big on business models. So he's talking on new business models in accounting, the evolution of the business model in professional firms, and what some firms are doing to get the business model right, how things like Apple have changed business models for accounting firms, Apple, Amazon, these are the countries, lots of different ways of setting it up, talking about the risks that businesses can take and the reason why so many accounting firms are not ready to move to the cloud because their current systems and their business model is not set up for it. So lots of great things coming up on this week's episode. And a reminder that on Saturday, you can listen to our bonus episode where Martin and I dive deep into this series we're doing on why didn't they buy? And if you've got any kind of business development, 
growth angle to your role in an accounting firm or indeed a fintech firm, then you need to look at this because we're talking about handling objections. Sit back, enjoy your CPD, CPE, and we'll get started. The Accounting Influencers Podcast. Cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world. The Accounting Influencers Podcast. So Martin, it's our news section, and what have you got for us this week? We always look outside for the news. We scan the news each week. We scan Accountancy Age and Accounting Today and CPA Practice Advisor and Accounting Web. Other publications are available. But we don't tell our listeners what's going on within our own organization as it's relevant to them. So this first thing that we've got, uh, this week's news, is, is, is a series of, first of a series of announcements that we've got regarding the Accounting Influencers Organization, which produces the Accounting Influencers podcast. And it's a major thing for our listeners, Rob. And it is that for our listeners, especially in North America, listening to this podcast is now CPE accredited. You heard me right. Listening to this podcast is now CPE accredited. We have teamed up with an organization called Earmark. And if you go to their site, which I will tell you all about in a little while, you will find uh, our web, uh, our podcast available for you. It will be the full week's edition, which gives you the, the time accreditation. We will be asking you multiple choice questions, just like you would on any CPE. And then upon successful completion of that within the Earmark app, you will be emailed your CPE certificate of completion. And I don't know if this is a first draw, but it's certainly a first in the accounting profession. It certainly is. And we're breaking ground with our Accounting Influencers podcast, Martin. There are a lot of podcasts out there. A lot of them are quite dry. Some of them are technical in nature. None of them are a daily show like we have here. But just to clarify, if you are hiding under a rock, CPE, Continued Professional Education, or in the UK, CPD, Continued Professional Development. Martin, why is CPE important for accounting professionals? Because it's, it's very much a part of their necessary work. Uh, each year, they are theoretically asked to account for the hours they have spent developing themselves professionally. And there are many, many ways to go about it. Now, when I was writing CPE a number of years ago for the PICPA, the Pennsylvania Institute, you know, we were making sure that that was very much in-person learning and times have changed. It can now be remote learning and indeed it has been remote learning for a number of years. This is a step forward again, where a show like ours, which brings you news, interviews, professional updates um, and professional development content can all be listened to together and qualify CPE because what they see, the uh, accreditational boards, is they see a need for accountants to become far more commercially minded and being aware of what's going on outside of their firm. We now bring that to them for the very first time. And that's the point. Technical qualifications, technical expertise is seen as the, the backbone of continued professional education. But you're right to point out the softer skills, the commercial acumen, the business awareness, thinking like an entrepreneur, that market intelligence. Our podcast provides that. Absolutely. And, and soft skills are hard, you know, and they should be called hard skills because it's, it's the ones the profession can't master that we specialize in. So, so this is the one to listen to. And guys, let's face it, listening to a podcast is more fun than going to your 59th tax update of the year session. So like I said, the details are coming up and will be available to you, but we very much encourage you to listen to this podcast anyway. We have nearly 20,000. And by the time you hear this, probably well over 20,000 unique listeners 
who have downloaded over 100,000 of our shows, um, which means everyone's listening to four or five shows a piece as well. So that's fantastic. We thank you for that. But why not get CPE for it while we're at it? Yeah, it does make sense. And uh, this is the brainchild of Blake Oliver and his team, Blake Oliver and Debbie Leary host the Cloud Accounting Podcast, extremely popular. And if you go to earmarkcpe.com, E-A-R-M-A-R-K-C-P-E.com, you'll find that all the details are there. And Martin, this is something that they can get on their mobile phone, isn't it? As you say, it's not attending a webinar. They get it while walking the dog, listening to a podcast, and then answering a few questions on their mobile or cell phone. Absolutely, guys. Think of this as Spotify for accounting podcasts. <laughs> you were just waiting for that niche to be filled, weren't you? So, yeah, that's right. EarmarkCP.com is where you'll find us. Um, and, of course, uh, go through the multiple-choice questions from the episodes. So watch out, because I might throw some little nuggets in there, some Easter eggs that you have to listen for. I'll be testing you on them later. But this is another piece of value that we get to bring to you. We wanted to bring a high-energy show to you. We wanted to bring you something that was outside of the perhaps dry technical content, if I can call it that. But now we want to provide further value by making it CPE accredited. So that is the news for this week. Happy CPE day to you all. Get signed up at earmarkcpe.com and we'll see you on the next episode. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our special guest interview here on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. And I'm thrilled to have with me today the legend that is Julia Penny of the ICAEW. Julia, hello to you. Thank you, Rob. What an introduction. I don't think I've ever been called a legend before. Well, you are a legend and uh, you're going to be more of a legend, obviously. You're coming into a very interesting role. So uh, just for the benefit of people, Julia, that haven't come across you, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are. I I started out... um, accidentally did an accounting degree, which we may come back to later, but we'll see. How do you accidentally do an accounting degree? Let's sort that one out right now. Well, you sort of go to your careers officer, having got all the way down the first column of the A to Z of careers to accountants, and they say you need to go and do an introductory one-year course before you can do a training contract. Like, oh dear. So I went off to Brighton Polytechnic with the intention of a one-year course and sort of stayed for three years and a whole BA accounting and finance degree. So that's how you accidentally end up doing a degree. And from there, I trained with a smallish, medium-ish firm in in Guildford as a chartered accountant. And soon after I qualified, I got into training. I started training students. Then I went freelance and I thought it would be really good to get involved with my local district society. That's Thames Valley District Society of Chartered Accountants. And I got involved in that and got really involved in that, became their president a number of years later, got involved in Institute stuff, came back to it later on. So it's been a consistent theme with a lot of it focused around the technical areas that I'm really interested in, the audit, the financial reporting, more recently, the anti-money laundering. Um, and that has gradually led to my increasing involvement to where I am today, which is deputy president of ICAW, and I will become president in June this year. Mm, Indeed. And we're an international podcast here. We have listeners in 144 countries. They may not have heard of the ICAW. So just tell us a bit about what that stands for and how it plays into the accounting profession. ICAW, bit of a mouthful, obviously. It's the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales. So we have a separate institute in Scotland, a separate institute in Ireland. Although we do all work quite closely, 
There are other accountancy bodies uh, which people will have heard of, no doubt, like ACCA, the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants. And of course, the US guys um, have you know, their AICPA and so on and so forth all around the world. The ICAEW within the UK is really big, but we are also big internationally. Almost a third of our members, I think, currently work internationally, either because they've gone somewhere else, they've started in the UK, they've gone somewhere else, they've come here to train and gone back home, or they've trained in their own country. We haven't trained internationally for as long as a lot of the other institutes, but we have done for the last sort of 20 or so years. So we are a big powerhouse from the UK perspective, but also um, very much from an international perspective with accountants in all sorts of areas, business, practice, public sector, and certainly in the UK, charity sector. We're in very challenging times right now. We can't ignore what's going on. What state would you say the accounting profession is in right now? I think, you know, it is, as you say, it's really challenging. In the UK, we've got some issues which we've started to see reflected around the world, not just in the UK. So we've got what you might broadly call a, a trust in, in audit or even a trust in business issue. Um, in the UK, we've got a lot of regulatory change, which may or may not happen off the back of that. Um, we are currently waiting for consultation response from the government. Um, we keep waiting for it. It'll come out at some point, but you know what it's like, I'm sure around the world, whatever government you've got, you wait for them to do something. But what it means more broadly is that we've got the press questioning, you know, are accountants doing the right thing? Are auditors doing the right thing? But at the same time, we've actually got, and there's surveys that have been done um, to back these up, saying there's a huge amount of trust in the accountant, that they can be businesses, trusted advisors, because they understand so much of what's going on, the regulatory side, as well as the business side of things. So I think, you know, we've got regulatory pressures, we've, we've got changes in the way things work, digitalization pressures, both on the public side with things like um, making tax digital happening in lots of jurisdictions around the world, as well as audit you know, questions about how big business operates and how we tax them. So huge numbers of questions challenging all accountants, I think, throughout the world. And accountants have done what they do for many years in a similar way. They're not known for their agility, Julia, are they? Their ability to change and deal with disruption. So how do you feel they're coping with everything that's going on? You're right. We're not, we're not known as accountants for our ability to be agile, although I think that's a little bit of a stereotype. I think in reality, the best accountants certainly are agile. We could not survive if we were not agile. I have to say, you know, one of the things that I always hate to hear from anybody is, oh, we do it like that because we've always done it like that. It's like, no, no, that's never the right answer. We all have to adapt continually. The world is changing continually. We must all learn. We must all change. And I think accountants, I mean, especially over the last couple of years with COVID, a huge number of accountants and everybody else, to be honest, have had to make huge adjustments, changing the way that we work overnight in some cases to digitalise, to move people from working at home instead of in offices. And we've done that remarkably successfully. So many accountants over the past couple of years have had, albeit difficult times, you know, stellar times as well in terms of making progress and being able to move forward in these really difficult environments. Who has the ear of the accountant these days, Julia, in your eyes? I'm thinking the fintech vendors, software people, they're driving the accountants to change and listen. 
there's all manner of gurus and experts out there claiming what they should do. There's the professional institutes, governing bodies, associations. Who do they listen to? Like anybody who, who is passionate about learning, and I am passionate about learning, you listen to a variety of sources because you get different angles and, and different pieces of useful information. So the professional institutes, I think, have, have really done a fantastic job, especially during a pandemic when people have been much more receptive and needed to be receptive to digital information of getting lots of information out there. So practical advice on things like in the UK, our, our furlough scheme was what supported employees when they couldn't actually work for those that were in that position. But you know, lots of other stuff, sustainability is a key issue on, on lots of accountants' minds because accountants are often in the powerhouse of business. So I think professional institutes play a role, um, but at the moment, yes, software vendors have to be you know some of the key people that accountants are listening to and um, we talk in the in the uk and probably worldwide as well about app stacks for firms of accountants building you know the applications which will work for their clients you know are they using zero are they using receipt bank you know what else are they using to make their practices work to help their business clients work we see it with with companies as well you know increasingly moving to digital ways of, of delivery and some of them work well and some of them you know we as consumers throw our hands in the air and say, oh my goodness, we'd just like to talk to a person. And it's getting that balance right. So I think accountants, yes, we do need to listen to tech providers and fintech is, is vital. We listen to our institutes. We do have to listen to a certain extent to government, even though we might not like to. And I think some of those are the, are the key sources, but we have to listen to our own people as well. And we have to remember there's a big divide in terms of generations between people that have grown up with technology um, and people, dare I say it like me, who have not grown up with technology. We need to listen to um, the youngsters in order to get a, a rounded view as to how we should move forward. I'm glad you brought up the generational aspect. I read somewhere that the average age of an accounting partner in practice is 55. The average age of a business owner is closer to 35. So there's a mismatch there. We know that Plenty of accountants are retiring and moving on. And how attractive do you feel accountancy as a profession is to the younger generation? I think we've got some interesting uh, potential issues as well as opportunities. So there is a huge amount of opportunity and some of the young youngsters, for want of a better word, coming in. We, we'll see those and we'll use digitalization to drive flexible working patterns, to drive the businesses that they want to see in the future. But we've also got challenges, especially in the audit space. And I think this is an international, not just a UK issue. The more the regulators bashes on our heads for getting it wrong, um, the more people think, well, you know, is that what I want to use my skills to be in an environment where I've got a really difficult task of auditing, let's say a really big business. And, you know, I might make a mistake and we all make mistakes. We're human. Computers make mistakes too, don't we know it? And I think that influences career choices. People might still choose to be an accountant, but where do they go? Which bit of accountancy do they choose to go in? And I think we need to be really careful that, and regulators in particular need to be really careful, that they don't regulate something out of existence. If you over-regulate an area, people say, well, I don't want to do that. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risks. But if you under-regulate an area, then you get something that's not attractive to anybody and doesn't serve the market purpose either. So there's an interesting balance that needs to be struck. This generation coming through, the Gen Zs, there's even the alpha generation now. They're the ones in the, who are in their teens and, and lower than that. 
they're interested in different things to perhaps the older generation. And I know you're very passionate about equality, diversity and inclusion. What are some of the issues there? We have moved a lot since I started out as an accountant in, in terms of equality and diversity and inclusion. But I mean, there's still some way to go, shall we say? You're referring to the stale male and pale type. Might be. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to denigrate anybody else either. But it has been a man's game predominantly, Julia, hasn't it? Sadly, an old man's game. It has been. And I was, I was looking a little bit earlier in preparation for this talk. Over the last sort of 142 years or so of the ICAW uh, being in existence, we've had four, well, three female presidents. I shall be the fourth. We had the first one in 1999, then 2016, then 2020, and then I'll be, you know, later this year, 2022. And then we've got a couple of men because we line it up a few years in advance. And you think, okay, you know, male, female overall, in terms of the Institute, we're going great strides. And this happens across the profession throughout the world in general. We're around about a third, bit more than a third female. So we're getting there in terms of people coming in, but obviously it takes a while to get to that, that top level. But we're seeing increasing problems with getting you know, to that top level. And the other side of that is the social mobility side. It's not just about gender equality. It's about letting people in who aren't of, oh, well, yes, you're the type, you know? And, you know, I went to a comprehensive school. Nobody mentioned going to university, which is why I accidentally went to, well, what was a polytechnic at the time. Nobody had said, well, you know, you should be going to university. It's like, what's that for? No, no, I want a job. Surely we don't do this. Because, you know, we didn't. None of my friends thought, yeah, we need to go to university. And I think that is still something which there are, I was going to say pockets, but it's way more than pockets, where they don't understand that something like accountancy or law or whatever are professions that all of us can undertake, all of us can go into. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on appealing to these younger generations making sure that things don't look male and stale. I know that's your, your phrasing and I hate because it sounds like I'm being rude about... We're stereotyping, aren't we? Yeah, we can keep moving, we can keep progressing. And you talked earlier about trust and it's applicable to audit your particular area of expertise. What is the reputation like of, of audit and the technical side of accounting and the standards in your eyes, Julia? The reputation is difficult. In some senses, clearly, you know, the press has got hold of some big cases which have gone badly wrong. There's a lot of scrutiny, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of scrutiny. And, you know, we have to look at ourselves and, and professional institutes will be looking at themselves thinking, well, what can we do to help prevent this happen in the future? Because like I said, we will always make mistakes, but what we're trying to do is minimise the chance of those mistakes taking place. Everything has got a lot more complex. Business has got a lot more complex and therefore audit has got a lot more complex. And some of the digital tools which are coming onto the marketplace will help perhaps in restoring trust because they will help the auditor to do a better job of auditing. If you can run all of the data through a system which says, oh, these are the ones that look weird, the auditor can focus even better on what is the key issue, what might be the things that are wrong. So it'll be much easier for the auditor to do a good job. So I think we've got to develop, to build that trust, to rebuild or to enhance it, because a lot of the trust is still there. We just need to continually work on, on making that audit better. And, you know, so the reputation, it's good, but it could be better. And a few big failures can tarnish everybody if we're not careful. Yes. You remind me of my days as a high school maths teacher, 
where you would put on school reports could do better. And that's very much the case. A B plus maybe for audit. Uh, Julia, I'm fascinated to know in your leadership journey, what makes a good leader in the accounting world in your eyes? What separates the good ones from the great ones? We all have different views on what separates good and, and great. For me, one of the things that I think you continually need to do is to, to listen to others, to have a leader who doesn't listen to others and a variety of others. You, know, you can't dismiss the more junior people because they're more junior. Because how can you get a picture of an organization, a picture of, of what is really happening if you don't listen to everybody? You know, the receptionist is just as important as the person who's you know, just perhaps a rung below you from a leadership point of view. So you have to listen. You have to learn. You have to accept that, you know, there'll be things that you can improve upon. So, you know, I do like to read the management books, not as diligently as perhaps some do who read everything that comes out. But I like to dip in and think, OK, well, that's a different way of looking at things. That's that's a new way. So, you know, Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats, which I'm partway through, I haven't finished it. But it's a different way of looking at how you bring out points in meetings and make sure that you look at the good, the bad, the ugly in a structured way. So learning all of the time, I think, is is helpful and important for leaders. For those people coming up, what advice would you give to them they're aspirational, they're ambitious, they're coming into the profession, they want to make a difference, perhaps feeling some of the overwhelm and fatigue and the anxiety and the dread of being chained to a desk for 10 to 15 years. It's better than that, isn't it? What would you say to them? It's vastly better than that. And with the exception, perhaps, of some points over the pandemic, I would say I thoroughly enjoyed my career. Do what you're passionate about and be passionate about what you're doing. Pick an area and, you know, certainly for accountants coming through, there are so many areas that you could be passionate about. You might need to try a few first until you find something you're passionate about, but then really say, okay, well, what can I do? So I got involved in my local institute, first of all, and developed that with involvement on committees. There was an awful lot of networking. I don't think you get very far if you cannot network, if you can't talk with people, if you can't engage with people. So network, and you might want to do it digitally these days, people do, but I've done a mixture of digital engagement and you know face-to-face -face engagement. And I think that's hugely powerful and it's fun. If you're not having fun, I, I worked for a company, when I worked for, for, for SWAT a few years ago, you know, one of the things that the managing director at the time used to say was, you know, we do it if it's fun. Oh, yes. And it's only fun if it makes money. So I think that, you know, passionate approach about things and building on that, looking at opportunities to display that passion. And it might be involvement with your institute, with your firm, with committees. Put yourself forward. Don't be afraid. Build your confidence. That sounds like really good advice. You're clearly very passionate about what you do. What do you love most about your role in your life, Julia? I love learning. Probably that's the, the standout thing, that all of the time there's something new. I, I talk to people, and I know everybody doesn't love to learn something new the whole time, which is why, you know, they like the fact that I do things like get a statutory instrument out and, and read it all and work out what it means or an accounting auditing standard. Learning something new, whether it's about leadership style and, and how to engage with people and how to do things, or whether it's about techie statutory instruments or auditing or accounting standards. But then for me also, working out how I can make that relevant for others. So a lot of what I do is training or, or turning it into policies and procedures that can be put into action. And it's explaining how that translates into real life. That's what I really enjoy. But I have to say, coupled with meeting people and talking with people, because being shut up in my room on my own, just doing the techie stuff, 
it's no good. I completely understand. It's a balance, of course, isn't it? You're coming into the president's role. What's your vision for the ICAW? What's on your dashboard? There is an awful lot, as we said earlier, going on at the moment. As I said, and and we've mentioned a couple of times, the diversity, inequality and and inclusion. The Institute has as one of its strategic themes that it really wants to make sure it represents the societies it serves and it wants to open up where it isn't already open up to all of those youngsters who might be thinking, accountancy, what's, what's that all about? And also any of the minorities that feel that they're not you know, fully represented at the moment. So, you know, I'd like to see in a few years time, for instance, that we have three female office holders all at the same time. You know, at the moment, the most that we've had is two and there's been sort of gaps. So we have a vice president, a deputy president. It would be nice to feel that people just ignored gender because gender wasn't an issue. And then, of course, it would be nice that we get people ignore all of the other things that we might feel discriminated against. So colour and race and background. You know, let's just have a nicer environment, a better environment, a stronger environment, because we will be stronger for having diversity. So I think that's you know, key, along with sustainability. Uh, Julia Penny for Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I think that's the next step up. A couple more questions, Julia. Is there a, a piece of advice you've been given from somebody down the line, a mentor, a coach, a friend that has served you really well and you might want to pass on to our accounting listeners? There's a piece of advice, in a sense, where somebody, a, a, a boss previously told me, well, you know, you're, you're bomb-proof. And what he meant by that was that my skills were fully transferable, that if what they wanted me to do in that role didn't quite work for me because of, you know, family or what I wanted to do or whatever, I I could adapt and move somewhere else and, and do what I wanted to do. So making sure that your skills are transferable wherever you work, I think you can do that. So I think that's a really useful piece of advice, because then you always have the confidence to have a job that you love and that you can carry on being passionate about. And on the back of that one, Julia, just to jump in, it's not just technical skills, is it? It's the soft skills, your commercial acumen, your people skills, presenting skills, selling skills even. All of that's important, isn't it? You can't just have technical skills. We've got computers which more and more will take over a lot of that technical stuff. So the accountant that just sits down and does techie stuff is likely to find themselves gradually, you know, edged out of the marketplace. But if you can combine technical with an ability to communicate, to talk with people, to lead people, then it's a whole nother kettle of fish. And that's what can give you a really strong career. Yeah. So you talked about the transferable skills as a piece of career advice. Was there anything else you'd like to share? I think the other thing which um, set me on a path certainly to where I am, I think, today was actually David Tweedy. David Tweedy was at the time, so I'm going back um, quite a lot of years, like 1990s, was the chair of the Accounting Standards Board. And I heard him speak at an event and he gave the classic, and some people um, who are geeky like me in the accounting profession will no doubt remember it. It's the whole thing, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. But what he was talking about was, is something debt or is it equity? But since then it's been used on all sorts of other techie accounting things. I think the point was for me, his speech was very inspirational and it made me think gosh yes I really want to be involved in this technical side of things and well essentially I thought I'd quite like his job I'd quite like to be chair of the accounting standards board I've never told anybody publicly that before but that's what I wanted but that was my vision in 1993 then what happens of course you know I'm not there so it's still a vision but 
what you do with your career as you develop is you look at opportunities to get you that little bit further forward to that objective. And we don't all have objectives that are clearly, you know, 20 or 30 years into the future. But we weave our careers to the next bit that we think will be exciting, I think. Well, Julie Penny, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for your time today. I'd ask you one last question as we leave, and that's to get your crystal ball out and imagine that you and I are chatting in, say, five years' time. What kind of things do you think will be happening in the accountancy world? Five years' time, I think we will have had some big tech developments, so more ability to take unstructured data and feed it into artificial intelligence products that will then start telling us all sorts of useful things from a business and an audit point of view. So I think that will have come a long way. I suspect that we'll have all sorts of new regulatory requirements across the world, because I don't think this is a UK only issue. And there will be pressures and people might be saying, I don't want to work in that way. So this whole flexible working thing will really have changed the shape of how we do business. And digitalization will be core. We can't do things by paper if we're doing them remotely. So anybody who's still got significant stuff on paper, I think that will have shifted. So that's my key crystal ball moments. It's an exciting world, isn't it? Are you glad to be a part of it? Um, I sincerely hope it, it uh, moves out of the COVID sort of thing, which dampens down the excitement, but seems to be going in the right direction uh, slowly, but hopefully, surely, although we never know what's around the corner. But yes, very exciting times, super time to start your career in accountancy and you know, plot your way, find what you're passionate about. And if you don't want to be an accountant, well, be passionate about whatever else it is that you want. That is a wonderful way to finish and a great call to arms. Julia Penny, deputy and soon-to-be incoming real-life president of the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales. Thank you so much for your time and your passion and your insights today. That's been great. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Hello, everybody, and this is our Here's What Works section where we plumb the depths of the knowledge of Martin Bissett to talk about what really works in the accounting profession. And Martin, what have you got on the menu for us today? Plumbing the depths of the knowledge of Martin Bissett. That's a shallow pool we're fishing in there. <laughs> this Here's What Works section, it is a regurgitation of my consulting career. So it is what has proven to work in several firms of several sizes in several territories. Not a fluke, not a one-off, and not a theory. It is very much designed to show you what has actually happened. And sometimes, you know, when I'm explaining the concepts that we cover in this uh, section, I get concerned that it's too simple and it's too easy. And it's like, I've just insulted their intelligence with that. That's just, that's, that's obvious. And the feedback we get over and over again is that they're still trying to master the message. This is the listeners that is. So, so on that basis, I'm very aware that, that what I might understand as being quite straightforward, is to our, some of our listenership quite advanced, just as you might look at a tax return and think it's an absolute piece of pie, give it to me, and I think it's absolute rocket surgery. So on that basis, here's one for you. Today's Here's What Works is called Action Trumps Training. So this is taking it even more basic again, okay? We all know what we're supposed to do to grow our firms. But in general, because of gross recurring fees, referral-style business, and the possibility of being rejected by being proactive, none of us actually do what we know we're supposed to do to grow our firms. Those who do gain differentiation by default. Now, many years ago, there was a gentleman called David Meister. Look him up. He's a genius. David's now retired. But David wrote many books which remain as relevant 
today as they were when they were first written. The trusted advisor was one. I'm talking about accountants taking an advisory role. Does that sound familiar to you? There was another one called Managing the Professional Services Firm, which was personally my favorite. And his final book was called Strategy and the Fat Smoker. And the point of Strategy and the Fat Smoker was that the fat smoker character uh, that he put in that book knew he was overweight, knew what to do about it to lose weight, but did nothing. Knew that smoking was bad for him, knew how to quit smoking, but did nothing because it was easier to do nothing. He wasn't yet suffering enough pain from doing nothing to do something. So if you think about this, progress in practice growth, okay, is nothing more than simple actions being consistently implemented. What do I mean by that? Most of you will know me for teaching pipeline, okay? Now, if I was to ask to show you all the firms who are having a weekly 20-minute pipeline meeting, not exactly arduous, that is it? I would be able to point to very few firms as a percentage of the whole guys. But if we do point at those firms and say those are the firms who have a discipline of 20-minute pipeline meetings, guess what we're going to find? They're winning the most new business at the highest average fee in the shortest time scale for the most exciting work. It's not a coincidence. Okay. So if we take the principle that small and simple steps are all we need. Micro habits, in effect. Yeah, habits, absolutely. And we want to grow our firm. Then I'm going to ask you to do one very scary thing. I went a bit Christopher Walken then. Okay. I want you to pick up the phone today. The phone, by the way, is when you talk to people. And speak to someone that you want to do business with. Okay. Now, that might be an introducer of new work to you. That might be an existing client where you want a, a larger engagement from them. That might be a prospective client who doesn't currently work with you. But do not end that call until you have a meeting arranged in the diary, calendar, planner, with them to meet with them about how you can help them. Now, I can hear the listeners already going, what? But where do I start? What do I do? Uh, you start with high. You follow that up with how are you doing, and then you listen to their response and you react to it. It's that simple, guys, but it is so difficult for a professional who is used to the work landing on their lap to actually change in the behavior of saying, I want to work with you. I don't want to wait for you to talk to me. I don't want to wait until you decide that we're the right people. I want to influence you now to think like that. So if you want to take small and simple steps on something that works to grow your firm, something you know you should do, but you never do it, then make one phone call, one phone call alone to an introducer, to an existing client, or to a prospect. Ask them how they're doing, talk to them about them and their business, and then express that you have a desire to talk to them about how you might work with them in some form or other. And do not leave until there is something in the calendar on that basis. Do you think you can do it? Because we'd love to know. Yeah, and it doesn't take much, does it, Martin? We're talking here, though, about discretionary time for accountants, what they do when they're not billing hours. And they're not working with clients. And in that discretionary time is a whole host of things like professional and personal development, spending time with the kids, working on their golf game, being at the gym, taking a walk, doing business development, picking up the phone, building their network, writing content, profiling themselves, raising their personal brand, getting out there. So all of this is not chargeable. There's no ROI on this in terms of revenue for the firm, but there's huge ROI in terms of the upside for them personally, but they've got to take action. Yeah, well, it's opportunity creation, basically, guys. And most firms tell me, oh, Martin, you don't understand. We're just too 
busy. And I always respond to say, well, did you have time to make a cup of coffee? Yeah. Did you have time to go for a, to the bathroom? Yeah. You have time to walk the dog? Yeah. You got time to make a phone call then. It's just that you don't want to. And guess what, guys? Most of the listeners won't take any action on this. And guess what? Just like the pipeline, those that do will get an incredible adrenaline buzz when they go, oh my goodness, they said yes. And hopefully when you get that, you'll call into the show and let us know. Well, we've got a great resource for you called The Five-Step Plan for Accountants to Create New Growth Opportunities. It's something Martin and I have written, and it's aimed at those busy accountants struggling to create more revenue and career opportunities. And it lays out very simply simple things that you can do in short spaces of time to achieve the kind of things Martin's talking about. So I'm going to give you the website for that in just a moment. But Martin, I'm reminded of the Chinese proverb, which says, to know and not to do is not to know. Oh, nice one. And that idea that knowing loads of things means nothing if you're not going to do anything with it. You might as well not know. It's a fantastic way of sort of summarizing the whole point. And it's what Maester was getting at in strategy in the fat smoker. You know, you could strategize on how to grow your firm. You could strategize on how to make a successful exit with the right amount of money in your pension pot. You could strategize on how to bring in top talent and when. You could strategize on all kinds of things. We know we can. Most of us know how to. Very few of us do. And that's what the accounting profession needs to overcome to really be taken very seriously in the minds of go-ahead businesses. Yeah. So here's that complimentary link that we told you about. This is a report that we've done, five-step plan for accountants to create new growth opportunities for more career and revenue opportunities. It's at accountinginfluencers.com, which is our website, accountinginfluencers.com forward slash growth dash opportunities dash accountants. It's really simple words, long words accountinginfluencers.com forward slash growth dash or hyphen opportunities dash or hyphen accountants. You go there, you can download that guide instantly and you will have a strategy or a, a tactics or a checklist, Martin, to get these actions done in that discretionary time and be better today than they were yesterday. Yeah, and one that isn't theory-based, guys. We didn't read a book. This is one that, was, that has been proven in practice because what we want to bring you here is what works. Yeah, and if you are a fat smoker, stop it. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Uh, welcome to the show, and I'm delighted to have with me today the legend that is Ed Kless. Ed, hello to you. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, Ed, and you truly are a, an accounting influencer, but there may be one or two people all over the world that haven't heard of you. Just tell us a bit about your background and your expertise. Well, it, it's real interesting because I was mentioning before we started recording that I have the best job in the world, and I really definitely believe that, uh, especially at Sage. Uh, you know, we have a CEO who he has the highest profile job, but uh, I have the best job because my job for the last 16 years has been to help our business partners, whether they be people who are reselling our software as we do at Sage or also influencing the sale of our software through our accountants programs and things like that, help make their businesses better. So I don't get involved transactionally per se. And, you know, how much software are you going to be able to push this month? Which, you know, and we got people to do that. And that's great. That's what we're a software company. That's 
what we're supposed to do, sell software, mm-hmm. right? But my job has been and role has been to really just help these people make their businesses better. And that's been extraordinarily freeing because what I've been able to do is concentrate on things like the evolution of the business model around professional firms. And that's led me to work to one of your previous guests, Ron Baker, and all kinds of fun stuff like that. To What, what can I focus to help them really make their businesses better? Mm. Why is Sage so good to work for, Ed? Why is what so good to work for? I'm sorry, why, I missed that. Why is Sage so good to work for? Oh, gosh. Uh, Sage is an amazing company from from a lot of perspectives. One, you know, I think I've been given freedom, right? And uh, one of my favorite books is a, a book by Peter Block called Freedom and Accountability at Work. And uh, if you perhaps we want to delve into this because it's a fascinating topic. But in this, he says that freedom and accountability are the same thing, right? We we oftentimes think of the fact that, w- w- that accountability is like this imposed thing, but it's not. Fr- accountability must be chosen. I'm accountable to my spouse. I'm accountable to my, I choose it. Mm. And if you really want to give people accountability, if you really want to have accountability at work, you've got to give people their freedom. And that's what Sage has done for me has given me my freedom. In addition to that, we'd have do incredible things with, with the work that we do for the Sage foundation. Um, every single colleague across Sage, I believe this is true worldwide, uh, has up to five days that they can do on a, on an annual basis where we can go work for any cha- charity of our choosing. We organize days around. So if people want to do do this stuff as a group, they can. Mm-hmm. So uh, Habitat for Humanity here in the States is a, is a really big one. You know, people go and build houses in low-income areas. Fantastic work. So it's just, a, it's a great company. We had, you know, good, good benefits and just a, a wonderful place to be. And as I said, where I am, given my freedom to do what I want. Yeah, sure. Now there was a time when Sage was the only gig in town, but it's got very competitive in that space. Now, what kind of shape do you feel you're in to compete? You know, it, it, we're, we're in a, in a similar position to lots of different places making a transition, right, to, to, to full cloud. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the industry overall, and I'm, I'm going to back out here and take a, a view of not just the accounting industry, but software in general. There have been co- some companies that have been able to make the transition fairly successfully, Adobe being probably the, the best known, right, that has made the transition from on-premises, with an S, by the way, not mm. on-premise, different thing, uh, on-premises to, to cloud-based. And I think that we are following in that footsteps and we've done fairly well. It's still, we still got a lot of work to do, but the, it's re, it's because it is a change, not only to the technology, but to the business model. Yeah. Right? And that, that is always a much more difficult change to make when you're shifting away from one business model to the other. And it's not often that companies are able to do that, right? It's yeah. not often that companies are able to not, to change not only the, the technology, but the business model itself. That's a really good point. I, I, we interview experts all over the world here on, and ask them what do you feel makes the good accounting firms great and one of them is the ability to change that agility and usually you get that in the smaller firms because they're they can pivot quickly but the larger firms can also do it because they've got the big resources and the, the strong leadership from the top what do you feel is driving change at the moment well, you know, it's interesting that a lot of people would default to technology. I think technology is 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 you know is always accelerating, right? Uh, mm. Barry Melanson, who's the head of the AICPA here in the states, had a quote at his recent con- the recent conference that they had, where he said, "Was the pace of change is right now as slow as it's ever going to be." Mm. Right. Frightening. <laughs> right. And when you think about that, yes, that's that that's true. But I, I and I you know, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but it's the business model that changes. Andy Grove, right, the head of the CEO and founder of Intel, yeah. said the biggest threat to disruption is not new technology, but new business models. Yeah. 
right? It's an afterthought. The technology comes along for the ride, but it's the change to the business model that makes it. You know, the example that is probably classic, most people understand, is what Apple did in the recording industry. You know, Apple released the iPod in October of 2001. I want you to think about that. The original iPod was October of 2001. It was the dot-com dot boom right, or, or bust was taking place in, yeah. in the middle of all of this. They priced their device at two and a half times the price of their nearest competitor, right? So two and a half times more yeah. had never done a consumer electronic product before. Right. And yet they're successful it becomes one goes on to be one of the most successful products in, in history. And why is it not because of the technology, but because they changed the business model of how you acquired music. You know, back in 2001, the way that you acquired music was you really got ticked off because you had to plop down, you know, 20 pounds or whatever for an entire CD. <laughs> you only wanted one song because 14 of them sucked. And <laughs> was good, right. So this you went crazy over this. And Apple actually in response to Napster, if you remember the original Napster, said, yeah. how about we just sell you the one song you want for a dollar? And we all said, yeah, of course we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that so that is a change to the business model because the, the business model, the way I, I like to define it is how does your firm create value for and then capture that value as a per, some percentage of the value it's created in, through your pricing? Yeah. We'll go into business models a, a lot deeper, but what in essence makes a good accounting firm great for you? It, the, the, what makes it great is, is um, you mentioned it, it's adaptability, right? right? Um, Darwin did not say survival of the fittest. He said, survival of the most adaptable. Okay. He's misquoted then. <laughs> misquoted. It's absolutely misquoted. It's not survival of the fittest because fittest would mean biggest. Well, the dinosaurs didn't survive. Sure. They were by far the most fit, but they were the least adaptable. The most adaptable were the mammals crawling around that were able to get underground mm. when the, you know, the, the, the uh, meteor hit, right? Uh, so it's the survival of the most adaptable. And you're right. It Size has nothing to do with it. Size has absolutely nothing to do with it because yes, you and yeah, you, you laid out the arguments perfectly. I hear this all the time from people. Well, we're we're too big. Well, we're too big to be adaptable. Yes, but you have the resources. Or we're too small to be adaptable. We don't have the resources. Yes, but you're small. It's easier for you to make the change. Yeah, great. Right? So it's 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 really it's size has nothing to do with it. And I think it, people have to focus on adaptability as strategy. Yeah, that our strategy is to be adaptable. What are the what are the key facets of adaptability. I know one of them is the right business model, but just dip into that a bit for us. It's it's being open to seeing what's on the horizon. You know, the 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 great work that uh, Nassim Taleb has done around black swan events. Yeah. Right. The very famous uh, book. Um, and if you haven't read the book, you probably know what a black swan event is, right? It's this, this event that we didn't see coming that re retrospectively changes everything. And in retrospect, we go, yeah, we absolutely should have seen that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Um, and and I think what has to happen is, is we, but the, the firms that keep their eyes open to these black swan events that are coming down that, because if you see, even if you see them first, you can be far more adaptable than other people. Mm. So it's that willingness to look forward and to do this. And this is one of the, my most fun exercises is to sit around. Here's where strategy should begin in any company, but in accounting firms specifically, how are we going to create value 
for companies that we serve in the future or people that we serve in the future five years from now? That's the start, the, the starting strategy question. Not how are we going to create revenue? How are we going to create value? How are we going to help people five years from now? But Ed, how tough is that given that few people can put a finger on what's going to happen in 12 to 18 months? Well, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult, but it's, it's the, the notion is, is that you must be looking towards that and allocate a, a good chunk of your thinking to that convert to, to that conversation in your brain. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, I, I personally believe and Tom Peters has said this for years that we have to spend more time on strategy, not less F- far too many firms that, you know, strategy may be a once a year retreat where the partners go away to Oslo and, you know, <laughs> sit around and do whatever, right? But what we really need is we need a, we need strategy to be thinking about, the, about a weekly strategy check-in. What's new? What's changed in the last week? And what what adapt, uh, adoptions can we make today uh, to that end? Mm. So I think it's, it's really, and it's really hard. No, it's really hard. That's why most people don't do it. And how much of a challenge is it for accounting firms, given that the majority of the leadership in the firms are baby boomers? They're old school, they're traditionalists in a way. And not many of them are millennials who are perhaps easier in driving change. Yeah. Okay. So there's two things on that. I I don't buy that baby no. boomer millennium. No. It, to I, the, to me, the the whole generational thing at work is like astrology for business. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's like oh, what, oh they're a Scorpio. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got a, got a sting in their ass, right? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they're just, that's how they are. It's working, right? <laughs> you know, and I think the same thing is, and, and it's really, it's the danger of labeling, right? Yeah, right. I've okay. seen plenty of baby boomers who are extraordinarily forward thinking and adaptable. Right. Right. Now, have I seen baby boomers who sit there on their butt and say, you know what? I just want to run the table. I just, as long as, as long as the wheels don't come off while I'm managing partner, <laughs> And yeah. that's you know, 18 months. You know, <laughs> I'm catching out. Yeah, that, that's it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, yeah, do I think that, that so there's there's a little bit of, of both. So I don't buy the label thing, but be that as it may, I think the point is true that there are there are people who are are, are very averse to risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. You know, profits come from risk. Profits okay. come from taking risk. That's where profits come from. If if you're not if you don't want to take any risk, cash out, cash out your firm, and put everything in government bonds. You'll earn two percent. You'll make a two percent profit, right? If you want to make more than a two percent profit, you got to take a risk. Yeah, it's too safe to. Sorry, it's too risky to play it safe. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is a, a great thing that I think is misunderstood about Peter Drucker, right? Peter Drucker had a, uh, he had three possible types of risk is the first type of risk is that the, the risk that a business can afford to take, right? The second type of risk is a risk that a business can afford to take. But the third type of risk is the most misunderstood. And that is the type of risk that a, a business can afford not to take. Okay. Here's the problem. That third type of risk is never identified by by doing an ROI analysis. Mm. It, you can't do it because ROI presupposes type one or type two risk, right? Yeah. But that third type of risk will never be identified by an ROI. No. And there's some great examples in the book Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. And they talk about how difficult it is and how inept we are at making good business decisions. No, absolutely. We are terrible at it, you know? And again, it has to be a, a focus on the future. The entrepreneurship, the 
French word meaning undertaker, which translates terribly into English, <laughs> right? It means someone who's undertaking an endeavor, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's a journey and you have to be constantly looking forward in that journey. You know, the, the great quote from Eisenhower, you know, uh, who with Montgomery ran D-Day, right? This, this whole notion of that, that uh, the planning is essential, but plans are worthless, right? The, 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 the plan itself is worthless. It's the act of planning. It's the gathering of minds together to talk about the planning process where the value is. Mm-hmm. I, I love the box of Mike Tyson's quote. Anyone can have a game plan until they get hit hard in yeah. the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So what yeah. do accounting firms learn from other industries? Sadly, very little. I mean, I think that's one. That's one of the downsides of an accounting. Is that because they're not outward looking at? What's the deal? Yeah. No. Yeah. And and I, I'm being unfair here. I think you know many many businesses are not outward looking. Right. The the the, the there is there's a there's a. I don't know. I think there's a cult in business today, but in, in accounting firms, especially uh, this cult of efficiency. Have you heard of these guys? Mm. There's, there, there are priests in this cult. They're called <laughs> lean six Sigma <laughs> black belt people. Yeah. This, this is a cult. This is a cult that is focused on eking out every last efficiency, right? And here's another, going back to the Darwin thing, the dinosaurs were very efficient, right? And, and that's still true today. The last buggy whip manufacturer was the most efficient, right? Before they were the the last the, the last maker of ice boxes before refrigerators came along yeah. was the most efficient, right? So a, a, a efficiency in and of itself is is not a desirable goal. I contrast efficiency with effectiveness, right? Efficiency is doing the thing right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing, things, yeah, right. And here's the problem. And this is again, this is Peter Drucker. Why it all goes back to Peter Drucker. He says, There's nothing so wasteful as doing that which is ineffective efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> and there are far too many firms that focus on doing things efficiently when it's the wrong thing. Yeah, but even take cloud, for example, there are 80% of firms here in the UK are not on the cloud. I mean, that's the most efficient and the most effective thing to do. So why aren't they adopting? I don't I don't know necessarily believe that it might be the most effective. Right. Right. For okay. them. Right. Now, over time. Yes. Yeah. Over time. Right. Sure. Over time. But the, 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 I think we have to understand that, especially in the mid market, because I play in both the small business and the mid market space uh-huh. in the mid market. Some of these systems, such as, uh, you know, the, the, the sage products that go back decades. Right. For these mid market. Those those suckers, those are hum. Those are fine tuned machines that have been customized and get exactly what people need out of it. All of the stuff that we, we put into it. And, you know, and here's the real, in, in the end, debits equal credits. <laughs> debits equal credits. There's, we haven't done triple entry bookkeeping yet, right? So so the, the ultimately, if the system is working for them in a fine-tuned machine, look, moving to cloud, huge struggle. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But an accountant of 20 years ago is a very different animal now, isn't it, to an accountant of these days? I don't know. When was the last innovation in accounting? Ooh. <laughs> And yes, a great question. And really, is the innovation coming from outside in the tech world driving change in the accounting or from clients so, even? Right. You know, I have, I have this great slide. It's, it's a joke. It's the new accounting innovation, right? That right. the, 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 Here is the old, the old way. Customer shows up with the shoebox full of receipts. <laughs> yeah. Right? New way. Customer shows up with the Ziploc bag full of receipts. <laughs> right? That's, 
That's radical technology. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right? But what's the latest innovation <clears throat> in accounting? I mean, you might say the statement of cash flows. Mm. I mean, I, when's there been an accounting innovation? Like really a pure innovation in accounting. Let's talk about business models for a moment. How have business models in accounting changed over the years, if at all? They, they, some of them have changed. Yeah, right. there, there are people who are moving to this. And of course, the biggest one and the one that, that Ron and I have been involved in is the whole movement toward value, value-led pricing, value pricing, however you want to talk about it, value-based pricing. And of course, the elimination of timesheets. Right? Yeah. And th- this is where this, you know, it comes down to this, is that the business model of we sell time is dying. Yeah. Dying. But it's right? still alive and well in a lot of places, isn't it? But yeah, yeah I, I take your point. It's dying, right? This is where technology is supplanting all of this stuff, right? That's the that's the big problem. Is look, there there are systems now that can do what used to take rooms full of people, right, to literally ten minutes. Yeah, right. Well, that used to all be billable time. And when that was the case, we had the pyramid in accounting, right? We had new pe- the new grads moving in, you know, and there was this big pyramid scheme and it filtered all the way up to top. Uh-huh. But now, even the accounting grads are not going into public accounting, at least in the States. There are more accounting grads in the States today, percentage-wise. And the number of people graduating with accounting degrees is going up. Right. But the number of people going into public accounting is going down, mm-hmm. right? Because they're going into other things. They're going directly into industry. They're like, I don't need the CA or CPA as it's called here, right? I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do over in private industry. Yeah. There's a stat just come out in the UK that says 50% of the CEOs in the FTSE 100, which is your Fortune 100, uh, have accountancy qualifications. They're, they're accountants. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. obviously doing something right and making good decisions. But I, I want to come back to value, Ed, if I can. You mentioned it a lot yeah. in driving strategy, and it's now driving business models. What is the definition of value in the Ed Class Dictionary of Business? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I steal all of my best stuff from other people. I, it, <laughs> very, very few original thoughts here, but um, it, the, the value is defined by economists as the maximum price that a, a customer will pay for an item. Yeah, right. That's the that's the classic definition of. Value. Are you going to tweak that? Uh, it's, uh, probably, <laughs> you know, but so the, 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 no, the, so here, so here's the thing though, there's three, in any transaction, there are three, three different things going on. There's the value, there's the price and the cost, Yeah. right? And the value is the mat, theor- the theoretical maximum that the customer would pay. Now they're not going to pay that. That's just the theoretical maximum, they, but they should pay, they'd be willing to pay a dollar less, let's say. They don't, but that's at least the theory, right? So that's the value. Then there's the price and then there's the cost. Well, let's just take it in reverse order. As an accounting firm, as a business, do your do your customers care about your cost structure? Like, do you walk into a coffee shop and say, I hope they have their cost structure figured correctly? <laughs> like, you don't care. No. Right? So you don't care, as a consumer, you don't care about the cost structure. So why do accountants argue with their customers about costs? Well, it, it took me five hours to do that. That's your cost. I don't freaking care. <laughs> right? It's madness. Yeah. Right? Okay. Do prices, do customers want prices to be higher or lower? Lower. Is that, can we just accept that as a universal truth? Yeah. Right. I mean, okay. Cause blaming, we lost the deal. We, we lost this engagement on price. It's a lot like brain blaming an airline clash on gravity. What caused the <laughs> gravity? Gravity. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> 
right? But value is the perception of value of the customer. See, it's not, it, 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 it's not, there's no, um, there's no objective definition of value. It's always subjective. Value is what the customer says it is. So when you go back to your question on strategy and firms should be thinking, how can we deliver more value in three, four, five years time? I'm mm-hmm. not defining the direction of the firm. If we use your definition of value, they're actually asking, how can we increase our client's perception of value in the coming years? Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing. You can actually create value in the perception of the customer's mind by not necessarily changing your product. And I'm going to give you an example. Before we started recording, we were talking about this guy, Rory Sutherland, and this yeah. is from him, right? So I steal from the best, right? So this was his idea, and you, you, go, you will appreciate this. So the, the, the British government or whoever it was came to him and they said, we, we, we want to do this campaign, right, to um, figure out a way to get people to drive, uh, well, let me give it in this different example, the, the, to, to increase the speed of the, the, the train that goes from London to Paris. Right. 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 And there was this whole huge thing. And I forget how many billions of pounds this was to be able to increase by 30 minutes. I mean, it's going to cut the journey down by 30 minutes. And, and Rory said, you know what? I can, I can, I can increase your customer satisfaction for one tenth the price, one tenth the price. Right. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that money and we're going to take 10% of it. And we're going to hire male and female supermodels <laughs> to pass out free Chateau Petrus to everyone on the train. <laughs> Right? And he says, you know what? People will ask for the train to be slowed down. <laughs> Longer journey. More, more champagne. I like it. Right? Because that's the, the perception of value is what's the journey, right? That the, is the, what's, what's happening on the journey. But isn't one of the key struggles that accountants have with the whole pricing thing is that it is so subjective, Ed, because one person's value means nothing to another person. Yeah, which is, which is why, uh, you know, one of, one of Ron and my most popular shows uh, in, the, in the last couple of years that we did on The Soul of Enterprise has been the one that we did on the value conversation. Mm. The, the, the skill that all professionals have to become the David Beckham, Wayne Gretzky, Babe Ruth, <laughs> sports legend of choice, right? That they have to become the best at is this value conversation. And the value conversation is simply this, the conversation that you as the professional have with the, with the prospective customer or your current customer, right? That allows you to elicitate, to, to extract their perception of value. You can impose your perception of value on them, but you can ask great questions that allow for that perception of value to come out from, from them. For example, yeah. Uh, okay. So, for example, um, okay. This is my most famous example. This is uh, this is the thing that happened to me. Um, this is a long, long time ago. A guy asked me for a custom report. Right. I was doing this accounting system implementation. You want a custom report that did inventory turns by item category. Right. It didn't exist, but I thought it would be great for me to break into my crystal reports prowess at the time. And I create the report for him. Five minutes later, I'm like, boom! This is the report. Right. This is during the demo. We hadn't gotten the deal yet. Right. So I produced this report for him. He's like, great, that's fantastic. I love it. Right. We get the deal. It's $60,000 deal, right? So it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. All right. 
Six months later, he throws his arm around me and he says, Ed, you know that report that you gave me? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I did it during the demo, right? I couldn't even put it on my timesheet. Yeah. He says, well, we've been able to figure out that because of that, we have that information in that report, we're going to increase our sales this year, our revenue this year by 40%. Whoa. They're roughly a $10 million company on a run rate for 14. Okay. So what was the value of that report to him? Four million bucks. Wow. Right. What did I get for it? Nothing. Zero. Okay. <laughs> so that was the story that clicked me the other way. That that was that sent me on this path down this, I've got to figure this out because this doesn't make any sense. Mm. Right. So however, and what I've since discovered then, in fact, I'm still I'm working on a presentation for it right now. This book, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Not Play. Yeah. On Calsa. Right, was the, the eye-opening experience because here's what I should have said to the guy. Thanks for asking. We do customizations like that all the time. However, oftentimes you don't need a customization to get the information you want because there's other ways of getting it out of the system. Would it be okay if I asked you a couple questions as to why you think you need this report? Yeah. He says yes, and then I drop into the conversation, really? So what if you had this report, what was going to happen? He says, well, we would be able to get all of this stuff. Oh, really? What would that cause? Well, now, would he have come up with four million? bucks? Probably not, but he would have come up with a million. Yeah. Right. It's a lovely framework. I coach the accountants on our programs. We teach accountants to win work and we Mm -hmm. get them to have a benefit conversation and then a value conversation. So benefit is what stood out for you about working with us. What do you like about working with us? And then when they say something, then you ask the why question, which is the value. Oh, really? Why do you say that? Of all the things you could have said, what prompted that? And when we're able to do that, why does that make a difference to you? And that starts to get into the value rather than just what we do for you. Love that. And, you know, um, Kalsa calls it evidence and impact. And that's one of some of my favorite questions, especially for accountants, because accountants, uh, if you're dealing with other accountants, right? Accountants who are dealing with other accountants, right? Yeah. Uh, in business is... This question, what's the evidence that you have that this is a problem? And almost always that evidence is a value is value. Yeah. Right. Love that. Yeah. That's the evidence that you have. Yeah. It's a great question. Ed, we got to go soon. Uh, what do you love most about what you do? What do I love most about what I do? Um, seeing light bulbs go off. <laughs> and it, it, it's a combination of, of two things, seeing light bulbs go off, but it's also this. It's also, again, with 16 years of perspective, and my mentor and I talk about this all the time. It's the, it's the understanding that oftentimes the light bulb isn't going to go off. Instead, you're going to light a fuse. Right. And the fuse, the fuse can be a varying length. The fuse can be a day long. The fuse, the fuse can be a decade long. And I have had the experience of people coming up to me a decade later and saying, you said something 10 years ago <laughs> that stuck in my mind and I didn't get it for a long time. And now I get it. And that feels good, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Let's get your crystal ball out, Ed, as we close. What's coming up for accounting firms and the profession generally over the next five years or so? Five years or so, um, because this might be closer to 10, but I, I, I do think the almost virtual elimination of compliance work. Wow. Okay. Because it's, it, it's, 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 it's all going to be done by AI and computer, you know, in the, in the States here, for example, we had a big brouhaha about this, but uh, it's almost the, ex- the exact opposite of you're making tax digital, yeah. right? <laughs> It, the, the the government actually passed a law that says said, said that the government would not accept tax returns directly on the I mean how stupid is this right basically giving a a a, a, a monopoly or a monopsony actually to into it. <laughs> 
<laughs> like all these other guys who are, you know, H&R Block. It's like it was, they finally reversed it. But here's the deal. We know in the States, and I'm sure you know this with Making Tax Digital, the government knows 90 plus percent of what it needs to know to fill out your tax return, Yeah. right? And if they sent us all a pro forma and said, here's what we got, what else do you want to do, yeah. right? Um, and I think what most people don't realize in the States, one of the biggest changes that, that uh, the, you know, the, the, um, the tax change made in the States here by Donald Trump and the Re- Republican administration was the doubling of the standard deduction, right? Which, which basically means that the double, double the number of people don't really have to do anything other than check two boxes and say, yeah, I'm taking the standard deduction, mm. right? So I, I think that's, that trend is going to continue and we're going to have less and less actual compliance work that needs to get done and more and more what I like to talk about is true consulting or advocacy uh, work that's going to be need to be done. And look, accountants are positioned well for this, but you know who is even better positioned for this? And this is bookkeepers. Ooh. And the reason is, is that bookkeepers, especially in the US and Canada, maybe not in the UK, but bookkeepers, so people who don't necessarily have their certification are better better at the bedside manner. They're better at the handholding. They're better at, at guiding people through uh, that even they maybe not have the quote technical expertise, but they have the relationship skills. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest changes that you're going to see in, is the, 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 the doubling or tripling of the, the importance of relationship skills. Sure. That's great. And if people want to find out more about the Sage Advice podcast and the, the great show you've got with Ron Baker, the Soul of Enterprise and, and the stuff that you do, what's the best way for them to reach you? You know, I'm not a very creative marketer, so the answer is go to the Sage or sageadvicepodcast.com <laughs> or the soul of enterprise.com. Sure. So <laughs> there'll be two websites where you can uh, take a look at the, both of those properties. The the the, uh, the the Sage Advice podcast is a short form podcast, uh, less than 10 minutes usually, where we're featuring a guest and telling their story. The Soul of Enterprise, as you mentioned, is Ron and I oftentimes having a guest, but oftentimes just ourselves vamping on things and talking about important topics and all available for free so just kind of go there and check it out sounds great and would you leave us uh, ed with a few wise words for the accounting leaders and and cpas listening who want to just raise the game and and be a little bit more effective in today's fast-moving world kill your timesheets as quickly as you possibly can and replace them with uh kpis key performance indicators um after action reviews right and uh, and i would also say looking at value the, what's called the value gap which is that exercise i described earlier what how are we going to create va- value five years from now so those mm-hmm. would be the three replacements that i would suggest for the timesheet yeah. they don't look like a timesheet they don't smell like a timesheet but they are actually more effective than the timesheet yeah well a class that's been uh, i've just written down the word hip uh, hard hitting insightful and passionate <laughs> thanks so much for your time today it's been brilliant oh uh, no don't thank me for my time thank me for my insight or my knowledge see time doesn't really matter but I, <laughs> thanks Ed, for having me rob i really appreciate it Ed class thanks so much for your value today it's been great <laughs> <laughs> this is the accounting influencers podcast with rob brown and martin Vissick. hey rob quick history lesson for you did you know that the first tax records were found etched on ancient clay tablets. Yeah, I've not realized how old you are, Martin, and clay tablets are great though, but they're not exactly compatible with the latest digital tax innovations like making tax digital, are they? No, they're not. People weren't thinking future-proofing back then. 
But for our listeners, you know, if they're moving clients from similar old school methods to digital records, there is a famously friendly accounting software solution for the UK's smallest businesses. It's funny you should mention that I was a judge at the recent Digital Accountancy Forum Awards, and that was a collection, Martin, of the great and the good in the accounting world, all the top networks, associations, alliances, some of the biggest vendors there. They were big on awards as well. And uh, it just made me think free agent is who you're talking about, isn't it? And they've won a lot of awards for their integrations and platforms about being really easy to use. And uh, clients can use it on mobile or tablet. And not just the clay kind. Rob, where do accountants and bookkeepers go who really want to accelerate their client's journey to the cloud? What would you recommend they do? I'd recommend they go and get a free trial at freeagent.com forward slash tablet. Because once you get into this, you experience it, you see how easy it is to use you'll probably be a client for life. So that wraps up another episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast. You've been listening to our Monday show where we feature all four key segments that are repeated standalone episodes on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And just to recap, we start with our new section. And this week, Martin Bissett shared with you our announcement that we are partnering with Blake Oliver and Earmark CPE. This is CP on your cell phone, your mobile phone, and our podcast, the Monday episode, which is long enough for CPE, continued professional education. That is now certified in countries all over the world. So you can rank up your CPD, CPE points by listening to our podcast. And that's great news because we do share market intelligence. We help build up your commercial awareness. We equip you with skills and knowledge to do your job better as an accounting practitioner. And even if you're in the fintech and software world that serves the accounting profession, it is good to know what they're going through and what they need to know so you can speak their language and enter into their world. Then you head our first interview of this episode with Juliet Penny. She's the incoming president for the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. She talked a lot about the accounting profession, how they have responded in COVID times and how they've stepped up largely, which is good news. We talked about the future of the accounting profession and what it means for people coming into accounting as a career choice, what the good firms do well and the great firms do extremely well. Fascinating woman, really passionate, got a wonderful vision for that huge global institute. And it speaks to what accounting professionals will be hearing and is coming up at them over the next few years. So thank you, Julia Penny. Then in our Here's What Works section, Martin Bissett turned to the problem of inaction. So many promises, so many great ideas that we don't take action on. We are fantastic as accounting people and, and as a former high school maths teacher and part qualified accountant, I can resonate with this. Wonderful with the spreadsheets, wonderful with the strategic plans, wonderful with the lofty goals and visions and values and everything else, but what do we actually do to make it all count? And yes, we claim that we're too busy, we've got a lot going on, overwhelm, anxiety, stress, overload, mental well-being. We're aware of that, but there are ways to work smarter, ways to prioritize better, and we'll keep coming back to this. But Martin had some great ideas on turning your intentions and your ideas into action with some very practical steps, including just doing something really small. And you may have come across the term micro habits. It's very much in that style of doing something. I heard a story recently about a guy that lost 100 pounds and his trainer told him, go into the gym for five minutes a day. That's all he had to do. And he said the problem was getting to the gym door with his kit and putting it on. So this guy, who's obviously really overweight, his client would go to the gym, put his kit on, would spend five minutes there. Maybe he did one exercise and then he turned out 
went out the door. But it got him into the habit of doing it every single day. So lots of lessons to be learned about turning intentions into actions. And then finally, we visited an excellent interview with Ed Kless. He's, Ed is a legend in the accounting profession. He's been doing this a long time. He's a podcast host himself. It's great to have him on as a guest to talk about some of the exciting things with business models. And if you had a listen to Ed, then you will remember that he talked about how accounting firms are well positioned for advisory and they should be adapting their business models and their processes to take advantage of those opportunities. He said in the next 10, five to 10 years, we're going to see the virtual elimination of compliance work. Do you agree with that? Is compliance truly dead? The business model of we sell time? Well, if you heard anything from Ed's interview, you'll know that that is presumably dying or dead and one time or another, it's going to be a thing of the past. So remember to tune into our Saturday bonus episode, Why They Didn't Buy. We're continuing with that series. And if you tune in on Saturday, you'll hear Martin talking about objections. That objection of, I don't have enough time or I'm too busy or I need to think about it. Are all of these things that you accountants face when you're in a selling position and you get pushback, a rebuttal for whatever reason. So Martin gives you the four categories of accountants and you can tune into that bonus episode on a Saturday. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. We are approaching 20,000 all-time listeners. We're at 19,965 right now. We may even hit that number today as I record this. Thank you to all of us for sticking with us. We know that many of you listen to multiple episodes. We keep them short and sharp throughout the week, but on Monday you get everything. Thank you to our commercial partners, Iris and Free Agent and Dext and Practice Ignition and Accountex. It is great to have you with us. We'll be having some new partners joining us very soon. But keep on joining, keep on listening, keep on building up that professional education and have a fantastic week. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.